Thanks for listening to the History Buff podcast with your resident history buff and Berlin tour guide, Artie. If you're enjoying the podcast, then you can really, really help us by liking and sharing the episodes on social media and rating the podcast on your streaming platform. If you'd like to see more History Buff content, then please give us a follow on Instagram, TikTok and YouTube. Links are in the show notes. Thank you for your support. And today I will be talking about Berlin, which is the city in which I live and in which my opinion is the capital of the 20th century. I've lived here for almost six years and for a decent chunk of that I was a tour guide and I'm actually about to start tour guiding again. Now one of the reasons I moved to Berlin was because I was so attracted by the history. From the very first time I came here I could feel the enormous tangible legacy that its very recent history permeates through the city like living and breathing through every old building, the wall, the transport system, even TV tower. There's a fabulous quote from a book by someone called Barney White Spanner called Berlin, the Story of a City. And it goes, The city has ghosts everywhere. Medieval ghosts, Hohenzollern spirits, Nazi devils and communist shadows. And I think that's a fabulous quote that shows that Berlin and Germany in general has a rich history outside of the Nazis and the Cold War. But it's on these things that we're going to focus on on this podcast today. Now, I'm actually going to skip us all the way to 1871, just because I don't have time to go into all that medieval stuff. But if this does, this podcast does become a thing, I will do lots of podcasts about the medieval history of Germany. I'm going to skip to 1871, when the Prime Minister of Prussia, which was the most powerful German-speaking state, someone called Otto von Bismarck, led Prussia to victory against France in the Franco-Prussian War. So after this, all of the previously separate German-speaking states looked up to Prussia and they were like, wow, these guys are smashing it. We want to be a part of that. And they all had a lot in common as well. They all loved drinking beer. They all spoke German. They all had vaguely similar cultures. They all had no sense of humour. So this led to the unification of Germany into the German Empire. And Berlin was the capital of Prussia, and it became the capital of Germany. Now, uh, in summer 1914, after Archduke Franz Ferdinand was shot in Sarajevo by a Serbian nationalist, the Kaiser, the German Kaiser, who at that time was someone called Wilhelm II, backed Austria-Hungary and brought Germany into the war on their side. And ultimately, Germany loses the war the Kaiser abdicates and Germany becomes a republic, with its constitution being drafted in the city of Weimar in central Germany, which is why this republic becomes known as the Weimar Republic. The new German government was forced to sign the humiliating Treaty of Versailles, which heaps punitive measures on Germany, and Germany is left broke without an army and without friends. Now, in the 1920s, Berlin becomes quite a fun liberal place. Um, The economy was in tatters, and two million German men had been killed in the war. But you had this sort of post-war feeling, a high, if you will, of kind of living every day as if it were your last. You had, you know, cabarets and Kit Kat clubs, dance halls where the alcohol flowed freely, people danced all night. Um, And the city was actually very ahead of its time in terms of attitudes to um, gay people, 
um, and the queer movement um, really sort of got a, got a foothold here in Berlin. And actually, some of the dance halls and nightclubs um, where Berlin's famous Golden Twenties era became legendary are actually still around today. Um, places like Babylon, Klärchen's Ballhaus, Ballhaus Berlin, all of these places are still there and you can go and see them. In my opinion, this is really where you have the roots of Berlin's image as being a, a sort of open, liberal and tolerant place. And I have to say, if I could travel back to a period in history, I think it would probably be this one, actually. Also, recommendations. Um, if you are interested in this period of Berlin history, I would recommend the film Cabaret, which is based on the book Goodbye to Berlin by Christopher Isherwood with Liza Minnelli and Sir Michael York. And also Babylon Berlin, which is a German crime drama set against the backdrop of the late 1920s in Berlin. After the Wall Street crash in October 1929, you had the Great Depression and an altogether rather bitter and depressing backdrop due to the terms of the Treaty of Versailles in Germany. And so a new party sweeps to power on the 30th of January 1933, um, which was the Nationalist Socialist German Workers' Party, better known as the Nazis. Adolf Hitler, the leader of the party and the new chancellor, immediately set about building his Dritte Reich, or Third Kingdom. And he did this by getting the Reichstag to essentially vote to disempower itself with the Enabling Act, which suspended the Weimar Constitution and allowed Hitler and his Nazi ministers to rule by decree. Everyone knows the story of the Nazis and the road to the Second World War, so I'm not actually going to go into it in, on this pilot episode. But obviously... If it becomes a thing, I will definitely delve into all of that stuff in other episodes. Now, Hitler had plans for Berlin because he didn't even like Berlin. He actually hated Berlin. He thought it was ugly and dirty and needed, you know, to be whipped into shape. He planned to redesign it into Welthauptstadt Germania, world capital Germania, which would have been the capital of the new Nazi-dominated world. And these plans included a huge dome called the Volkshalle, which was going to be 290 metres high. Most of these plans didn't happen because of the war, but some actually did happen. And this includes the Straße des 17. Juni, which is a 3.5 kilometre long road going from the Brandenburg Gate down to down through West Berlin to, um, I think, Ernst Reuterplatz. And uh, it, it's the road where you have the CSD Gay Pride parade every year. Also, the Siegerzeule, the victory column, which has Victoria, the goddess of victory, on top of it, that was actually originally a lot closer to the Reichstag. Um, but Hitler moved it further down the avenue to where it is today. Now, during the Second World War, Berlin was bombed a total of 363 times by British and American air forces. So 80% of the city centre was razed to the ground. And it's thought about 20,000 Berliners were killed by Allied bombings of a total of 650,000 German civilians in total. And um, around 1.5 million Berliners were made homeless. That's about a third of the city at that time. If you want to get a sense of what Berlin was like before the war, I recommend going to Bergmann-Keats because this area was actually left almost untouched by bombs. And so the buildings are exactly how they were before the war. Um, and so you get a very good sense of what the rest of the city would have been like before the destruction. Now, at the end of the war, 
Berlin, like the whole of Germany, lies in ruins. An interesting little fact here is that the Allies found a half-built technical college in the Grunewald forest that the Nazis had been building, but had abandoned halfway through the war. The Allies tried to destroy it, but they couldn't because it was too well built. So instead, they took all of the rubble of Berlin that had been cleared away by the Trümmerfrauen, or the rubble women, brought it to Grunewald and just dumped it on top of the technical college. Um, And the hill became so big that... Uh, If you go to the top of the hill, you can see the whole of Berlin. And when you walk up the hill, you can actually see bits of rubble, like bricks and roof slates strewn around the place. The hill is called Teufelsberg, or Devil's Mountain. And on top of the hill, you have the now abandoned listening station used by the Americans to listen into Soviet and East German military traffic. Um, And that is now an artist colony with some amazing graffiti. I would definitely recommend a visit. And that leads us nicely on to our final topic, which is the Cold War. Um, And by the way, I'd recommend Der Untergang, which is a film about Hitler's last 10 days alive. After the war, Berlin is divided into four sectors. The American sector, British sector, French sector and the Soviet sector. The Soviets actually get the largest single zone, about 40% of the city, and the Western allies get the other 60%. So they didn't get along. Because the thing that unified them, which was Hitler, common enemy, was gone. So they got into all kinds of arguments and Stalin, the Soviet dictator, closes the routes that the Western Allies used to get into West Berlin in June 1948. The intention to this was to try and starve the West Berliners, demoralise them and get them to force the Western Allies out. But instead, what it precipitated was one of the greatest humanitarian feats in history called the Berlin Airlift, which is where the Western Allies flew in all of the supplies for West Berlin's two million inhabitants by air. So they flew in to three airports, to Tempelhof in the American sector, Gatto in the British sector, and they actually built an airport specifically for the airlift in the French sector called Tegel, which actually became West Berlin's primary commercial airport. And it was closed unfortunately, a couple of years ago, to make way for the shit show, which is BER. But so basically, after 11 months of the airlift, uh, by May 1949, the planes that had been bringing in food and supplies for West Berlin had actually flown a total of 125 million miles, which is well over the distance from the Earth to the sun. And they'd done so well that the standard of living of West Berliners had actually gone up rather than down. So it was a huge embarrassment for Stalin. So he called off the blockade on West Berlin and allowed the Western Allies to supply West Berlin again. And it was after this that the Western Allies and the Soviets realized that they weren't going to get along. So it led to the separation of Germany into two separate German states. So on the 23rd of May 1949, you had the proclamation of the Federal Republic of Germany or West Germany which was a capitalist democratic country in the Western mold. Um, On the 7th of October 1949, you had the proclamation of the German Democratic Republic, the GDR, a Marxist-Leninist state in the Soviet mold. Now, Berlin was slap-bang inside the GDR. East Berliners could actually cross the border quite easily into capitalist West Berlin and get well-paying jobs and go back to their flatting communist East Berlin that had cheap government-subsidized rent and utilities. Now, the GDR didn't like this, obviously, and many East Germans were fleeing to the West to higher living standards and higher wages. And by 1961, 2.8 million East Germans had actually fled to the West, and that was about 
20% of the East German population. So, you know, they had a real problem with that. So, in response, the leader of the GDR and first secretary of the Sozialistische Einheitspartei Deutschlands, the SED, which was the Communist Party of East Germany, his name is Walter Ulbricht, he orders the construction of the Berlin Wall, which goes up overnight on the 13th of August 1961. Which is funny because two months before, Ulbricht had told a international press conference, Niemand hat die Absicht, eine Mauer zu errichten, which translates as, no one has any intention of building a wall. So he was obviously telling porkies. So um, this splits Berlin in two, um, relatives from relatives, friends from friends. And this is the final sealing of the border to lock East Germans into their country, despite this being billed as the anti-fascist protection barrier by the East German government. Over the course of the next 28 years, there are multiple escapes made to the West, um, and an, over 100 people are shot at the wall. And over the course of these 28 years, the two cities become very different. West Berlin, with lots of American subsidies to make it look as attractive as possible, essentially a shop window for capitalism, if you will, um, it gets a lot of new buildings, either entirely new ones or rebuilt buildings from the rubble of the war with, you know, shopping centers and other swanky developments. But you also have uh, a big punk scene develop in Kreuzberg and a big gay party scene develop in Schöneberg, whilst East Berlin remained, due to the worst economic state of the GDR, in a dilapidated state. People were shocked when the wall came down to see that a lot of East Berlin was still in ruins from the war. There were also cultural movements in East Berlin, um, such as their own punk scene and even a breakdance movement. Now, I don't have time, unfortunately, to get into the secret police of East Germany, the Stasi. But if this podcast was to become a thing, I would definitely devote a whole podcast to it because it is fascinating. But I leave you with a recommendation if you are interested in the Stasi, and it is a film called The Lives of Others, which I believe I read somewhere was, I think, voted the best German film ever made. It's absolutely fantastic. So definitely, definitely check that out. Um, so by 1989, people are quite fed up with the communist regime. And they want two things. They want to be, they want free and fair elections, and they want to be able to travel out of the country. So this leads to huge protests across the GDR. And the GDR government starts to lose control of the situation. So they draft a new travel law, which will allow East Germans to travel west. Now, they very quickly draft this law on the 9th of November, 1989. And they give the draft law to the spokesman for the government, who goes before the press immediately with the draft law and reads it out to the press. Now, his name is Gunter Schabowski. And he reads out the law, and you can see this on YouTube, by the way. He reads out the law to the press, saying, yes, East Germans will be allowed to travel west, provided they have a visa, blah, 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 all of this kind of stuff. And then he takes questions from journalists, and one of them asks him a very simple question, which is, when will this law be in effect by? Because he hadn't actually said when it was going to be in effect by. The law itself is actually meant to be in effect the next day, um, in order to give border guards time to prepare. But Zhabovsky can't actually see on the piece of paper when the law is meant to be in effect by. After the question is asked, you can see he puts his glasses on the end of his nose, he looks through his bits of paper, and he 
is obviously stalling for time. And eventually what he says is, to my knowledge, effective immediately without delay. So obviously that's quite a big cock up because everyone is listening to this live on the radio or watching it live on television. So people start flooding down to the checkpoints. And they say to the border guards that we've just heard that we can travel west. There's all this confusion. But eventually there's so many people at the uh, crossing points that they, they break down the barriers and East Germans flood on through to the west. They join up with West Berliners and they get on top of the Berlin Wall and bring it down. So the fall of the Berlin Wall was actually completely by accident. Now, it's safe to say that Berlin has changed a lot since then. I have to say, if I could live in a time period, it would be probably Berlin just after the wall fell in the 90s, because it looks absolutely incredible. Or 80s West Berlin, actually. Or Weimar Berlin. Oh, okay, no, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, unfortunately, with gentrification, Berlin is slowly going the way of London and Paris. But something that gives me hope is that there are, like, the locals are fighting against it. I mean, whether or not they will win is a different matter. But the fact that people are fighting sets it apart from London and Paris already. So that gives me hope. But something that will never change is the history that breathes through the city. And that is something that I do really cherish about this city. But yeah, I hope you enjoyed all of that information. I know it was a lot, but um, I hope you could hear the passion in my voice for for the history of Berlin. You know, being able to do a podcast like this would really be a dream come true for me. So please do share your thoughts and let me know, yeah, what you think. Okay, well, hopefully until next time, goodbye. <laughs>